All right, Jamin wants an introduction, so I'll, I'll give him an introduction in, in Japanese. Konbanwa, watashi wa Eli desu. Dozo yoroshiku onegaishimasu. And uh, Jamin said a little bit earlier that we have a small church, but uh, I'll say in Japanese, chisa no kyokai, demo mata oki kamisama. We have a small church, but we have a big God. So, But uh, my wife couldn't be with uh, me here today because uh, she's about six months pregnant. And uh, we had some other friends who were missionaries that were traveling and uh, a lot. And when their wife was pregnant and they had a miscarriage, and we thought about that, and uh, I didn't want to take that risk. So uh, I wanted to make sure that my wife got plenty of nutrition and plenty of sleep and things like that while, we <laughs> while I was away traveling and raising support in Montana. But uh, on the way over to Montana, I wanted to stop by uh, this church, because uh, Jamin's church has always been uh, close to my heart, because uh, Jamin is, was my uh, best friend from college and my uh, best man in the wedding as well. And uh, every opportunity I have, I like to come here and visit this church. This is my uh, third time here. And uh, more importantly than that is the work of God that's occurring uh, in this place and the desperate need for it. As I am your missionary in Japan... You guys are my missionaries to this area. Uh, each one of you has unique gifts and blessings from God that you can use for the kingdom. And uh, this, these next few days, uh, as I'm here uh, doing a seminar about how to share your faith, I hope that you guys are blessed by it and that you grow by it and uh, realize that uh, you, uh, too, have a great part in spreading the word in the area. And it's not as scary as it might seem a lot of times that we have a lot of the fear of man when it comes to sharing the gospel with people but if God is in it and God is working it's completely possible any any one of us can do it and uh, whenever I go to visit uh, some churches especially my home church in Montana I like to uh, kind of bring forth a reminder or challenge the people to think about this year, this next year coming up, to think about one soul that you know, one person that is unsaved, that is not a Christian, that they would come to God and that you would have some part in that. One soul per year. If we can start with just one soul per year and grow from there, uh, we could see a great harvest happening in our day. And that's completely possible. One soul per person per year. And I would like to ask you guys, I would like to plea to each of you here today, children and adults alike, to pray for one soul that God would allow you to lead to Christ. And there, there are actually children as well that have the ability to soul win, very young children. And uh, all it takes is that we have a love for the people around us and that we see them as God sees them and be willing to be used so I'd like to, at the beginning of this, just just help you guys to remember, just think of that one soul per year. And um, when I came back from Japan about a year ago, this country had undergone a lot of changes. I came back to my home church in Missoula, and there was a great heaviness there. As the, uh, as the gay marriage law had just passed, there was a great sorrow in my home church and I preached the message 
encouraging them. And then since then, in about a year, there's been a lot of changes in our country as well concerning uh, the transgender type things, the, the, the doors that we've opened up into our nation. So uh, Katie and myself have been studying the scriptures a lot, the Old Testament, specifically Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And in those books, although there is lots of sorrow, there's lots of hope for the future as well. And I would like to share with you guys in kind of the format of a Bible study tonight um, some things that I've learned, some things that uh, Katie and myself have learned about these books and the striking similarities that those ancient nations have to our modern nation of America today. And uh, I'd like to share that with you guys today. Oops, wrong way. And the name of the message is Uncertain Times for God's People. And uh, as you guys well know, Isaiah preached uh, to his people and to to Judah and to Israel as well. He preached uh, for them to repent and turn back to God, to put off their idols and put off their corruption so that God would not have his hand forced in judgment. And of course, during... During his lifetime, he saw wicked kings and he saw good kings as well. He saw Hezekiah turn back to God and pray to turn away the army of the Assyrians. But then he saw the wicked king Manasseh after. But after Manasseh had been wicked, he actually repented later in his life and turned back to God. So there was a possibility of turning back to God. And lastly, King Josiah was a righteous king as well. But then... As Isaiah passed on from the scene, other men such as Jeremiah and Ezekiel came along to preach and to warn the people of the exact same sins about the course that that nation was going and uh, to repent, to turn back, to turn back to God and to put off these things. But yet the people still remained their course and they, they still continued on into their sins and their wickedness until eventually they were judged. And... Uh, Initially, a group of people were taken away, and and Ezekiel went with them. And later on, uh, Babylon, uh, the Babylonians came by, and they captured and took Jerusalem into captivity. And it's a sad story in the book of Jeremiah as he warns them. But I believe there's lots of similarities today with us in America. And I believe as Christians in America, too, we are a uh, a, a remnant people. Our role is to reach out to those around us during this kind of transitionary time. We don't know if we are facing the days of Noah. We don't know if we're just facing the natural cycles of nations and empires as they turn away from God or they turn to God. We just don't know where we're at in that cycle. But I I pray and I hope that as I read these and I show these things to you, that you will see and your eyes will be open to the exact similarities that the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah have to modern-day America right now before Israel was judged. And we follow all these same patterns. So it may follow that our country may be judged by God lest we turn back to God and repent and uh, turn back to Him and establish Him as our rightful ruler of this nation. So let's start off with a word of prayer as I look at these scriptures. 
God, thank you for this time that we have together today. Thank you for these people that are here. And uh, these were the, the people that needed to be here today to hear this message, God. May we be hearing this message in a somber and humble way, but also in a way that we are encouraged by what you're doing in the long term and the greater picture, God. And may we learn to put our trust and our faith in you, God, and not in the unwavering things of the world. May we gain a heart for the people around us uh, and our nation here in America. God, And uh, I pray that you would use each individual in this room to do the work of the gospel, to abide in Christ, to not be afraid or ashamed of the gospel, but to be empowered and emboldened by the feeling of the Spirit. God, I pray you use us now. I pray you fill us now. I pray that you would uh, humble us now at this time, God. We love you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So we start off at the beginning, a people on the verge of judgment. Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 5 is the basis for future judgment of Israel and Judah. As we see in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, we see the analogy of the vineyard. We see that the people of God are given blessings by God, but yet in their prosperity they forget God and they turn from God. And I'm going to read that passage for you, Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. It says this It says, Now will I sing to my well beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with a choice vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore... When I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it to waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command, I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. So God has established this vineyard, Israel. He has given it everything that it needs, but yet it sows wild grapes. Similarity could be said for our country, America, at one time. Uh, many believe that America was established as a Christian nation, as a godly, God-fearing nation. It was given everything that God could have blessed us with. But yet, in prosperity, we have in many ways, as Israel has done, turned our backs on God. We've forgotten God in our prosperity. And as we go on in that chapter, we see uh, different things occurring in Isaiah chapter 5, 8 through 23. And I encourage each of you to study this chapter for yourself and to meditate upon it. In verse 8, we see that there is a woe given for a constant desire for more property, a life of luxury and, pl- and pleasure. So apparently in verse 8, 
the people of Israel, not or the people of Judah and Israel, they not only desired to have a house to live and for God to take care of them, but they desired more. They desired to make profit off of their houses and to buy and sell and to and to become rich, um, fixing up their houses and selling them and things like that. They also desired a great life of luxury. They they looked forward to pleasure. They lived for pleasure. They lived for the flesh. They did not continue to live for God at this time. Is that not what our country is known as as well? Are there not many TV shows that talk about uh, remodeling houses and making fortunes and uh, having the eye is never the eye never being satisfied with the things that we do have but always looking for more? Are we not always taught to look after a life of luxury, a life of pleasure, the easiest way is the best, not a life of reliance upon God, but upon ourselves? Next we see in verse 11, talking about longing after strong drink and drunkenness. The people of Israel, they longed after strong drink. They turned away from God. Is that not what we do in our own land? Many commercials and movies and music talking talking about being drunk and longing after strong drink. And looking at that, in verse 12 we see also also living after the self, living after festivals, worldly enjoyments while forgetting God. Is that not a similarity in our own country? Living after self, looking forward to festivals and luxuries, worldly enjoyments, carnivals, entertainment. Is that not what we live for? Is that not what we teach our young people to look toward? while forgetting God? Well, in verse 13, bondage results. While living for these pleasures, the people became in bondage, not only spiritually, but in debt, things like that as well. They no longer saved and looked to the things of God, but they became, but they, they forgot God. They went into bondage. Next, in verse 18 and 19, we see willfully engaging in sinful lifestyle, mocking even God's judgment and I, I, I see that happening so much today. Willfully engage in sinful lifestyle. Television, movies, radio, entertainment, everything um, is a lot of times based around making fun of the things that God tells us to esteem and to hold up. And mocking God's judgment even as well. And because of that, in verse 20, there's a corruption in the judgment of laws in the land there's a c- corruption of the teachings of the religious leaders. They're all corrupted by this. Justice can't be done if there's no basis or no God to, to serve. Corruption is also, also happens from the pulpits as well. Do we not see that occurring in our own land? <clears throat> in, cha- in verse 21, talking about blinded by pride wise in their own sights. Is that not uh, what is occurring today in our own land? You can read it right there for yourself. It's in Isaiah 5. It's a, it's a mirror. Verse 23. Rewarding of evil rather than good. Are not our laws in this nation currently rewarding the doing of evil? For instance, the trans, transgenders punishing uh, Christian bakers for refusing to bake a cake for for a gay couple or punishing an internet website for refusing to allow homosexual dating 
condemning the righteous even? Isn't that, isn't that not the case that we see here happening? That all happened, and Isaiah warned about that before Israel's decline. Next, we see Jeremiah's prophecy, which is found in Jeremiah 2, 3, and 7, these chapters. And I left out Jeremiah chapter 5, but Jeremiah chapter 5 is equally important because it talks about uh, the sexual sins that exist, and and I uh, didn't want to go into that into as much detail. But Jeremiah, years later, um, speaks about these same kind of concepts furthering along. He says here in (coughs) Jeremiah chapter 2, he gives an assim- a similar analogy to that of the vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, that had occurred a hundred some odd years or some, something like that beforehand. Jeremiah comes along and he, and he preaches the same exact message to the people. He says, God has given you everything, all these blessings. He's protected your country and your land. But yet, in your prosperity, you reject God. Has that not been occurring in our land with the rejection of prayer with the upholding of the right to kill infants through abortion and now uh, gay marriage in Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1 through 2 we see that sexual sins prevail divorce prevails in the land and whoredoms prevail in America it's something like 50% or more of all marriages end in divorce and um, in my own family that has affected my parents and my grandparents and it's it's something that has uh, increased it's something that uh, we even take lightly um, talking about prenuptials and things like that in our nation but that was the same for uh, Jeremiah's day in Judah the sexual sins prevailed. All you have to do is watch TV. All you have to do is learn about human trafficking and, you know, the adult industry and what's going on in our nation's colleges and things like that. They mirror that of what happens, what happened in Jeremiah. Chapter 3 and in, in verse, or chapter 7, verse 3 through 7, Jeremiah pleads to the people to return to God. And he says something important. He says, Oppress not the stranger and the poor in the land. And whether we believe it or not, we actually oppress the poor in our land by having them rely upon the government and upon food stamps and things like that and not upon God. We have thoroughly rejected the church and turned that role over to the state. And the stranger in the land also as well, as controversial as this might be to say, the stranger in our land is a lot of times the illegal immigrant, you know. We look on his legal status, but we forget his spiritual status a lot of times. There is uh, something that, that we just do looking past the value of a soul. But if you if you read in the Old Testament, you see that strangers in the land and under the Mosaic Law were protected they were given food and, and cared after. And of course, you know, we do that as well to with our illegal immigrants. But at the same time, we do 
take advantage of them as well. Nothing different than what was going on in Jeremiah's time. I'm sure they took advantage of the peoples around them when they rejected God as well. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 8 through 34, we see that there, in verse 8 through 11, that there's wickedness occurring while attending the house of God. So not only is there wickedness occurring in the house of God, but there's robbing of God. The people aren't giving to God anymore. Um, we see these kind of things happening today. There's all kinds of wickedness going on in our houses of God. There's, there's uh, doctrines of devils being taught. You know, there's uh, all kinds of instability in the ministry. There's hatred and variance and arguments and strife and divisions. All kinds of things happening today. Um, there's a refusal for people to even be involved in church or to reject it and call it evil. And uh, because it has broken down, because there have been ministers to take advantage of, of people. And in verse 13, we see that the people got to the point where they refused to hear God. And that that has, is occurring a lot in our nation. But fortunately, there is still some that, that uh, do hear God. And in a consequence of this, in verse 16, Jeremiah is told not even to pray for them. It gets to such a bad point in that country that Isaiah is told not even to pray for them. Not, but fortunately, we haven't quite reached that point yet in our nation. And then verse 31, we see child sacrifice occurring, giving of the ch- children over to Molech, burning their children at, the, at their altars to their gods. And you know what? We do that too in our nation in a lot of ways. We sacrifice our children not only to through the means of abortion, but also giving them over to the state to be raised up by those ungodly concepts and ideas that are contrary to that of God. And because of that, in verse 33 and 34, grim judgment is pronounced upon them. And finally, we see in Ezekiel's prophecy, in Ezekiel chapter 7, the basis for the future judgment of Judah That was Ezekiel chapter 7. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, we see a judgment on Judah for rejecting God. And Ezekiel, mind you, is in a Babylonian city prophesying these things about Jerusalem. And all of these things are similar. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. In chapter 7, verse 10 through 22, we see that violence is in the land. Because of this, there's property loss. There's sickness, there's famine, there's weakness. And God says, riches will not be able to save. Everything is taken and given to the wicked. Do we not uh, see these kind of things with socialism, taking of hard-earned labors and giving them over, basically to the wicked, people that do not want to work for it? There's violence in the land. We see lots of, in our, in our country and in Europe as well, school shootings and different things once God's protection has started to be removed there's violence in the land there's property loss there's great sickness and plagues and famine there's great weakness meaning uh, moral weakness to stand up to these different things we see that happening in Ezekiel's day speaking about that and then he says in verse 23 and 24 the land is full of bloody violence that's something that we are seeing in our own nation and in Europe as well and then he says something that's even more shocking. The worst of the heathen inhabit the land. Now at that time, 
it would have been in Isaiah's day the Assyrians coming to take over and capture northern Israel but in this time it would have been the Babylonians which were a brutal and wicked people you know known for their slavery and human trafficking and torture and all kinds of evils the worst of the heathen inhabit the land I, I would be f so far as to venture as to say in our day who can we think of are the possible worst of the heathen out of the heathen nations the most brutal the ones that uh, have in their law to behead people and to, to execute them and to be under Sharia law. And I think we're seeing that a lot of that happening in Europe. They are getting, they're inheriting the worst of the heathen when they reject God. And we're starting to get that well as well. <clears throat> in verse 25 through 27, we see no peace, no godly help. They're turned over to what they wanted, basically. By rejecting God, God turned them over to their own desires which was basically a world without God or godly protection and we see that occurring no peace no help is that not the cry of many in our country in our day there's no peace in their lives there, there's no godly help or protection they cry out but yet they're not getting peace <clears throat> Now, perhaps you see the great similarities between ancient Judah and the modern-day United States. Our country has become an uncertain people in an uncertain time. We see lots of police build up because of this. Openly, you know, gay pride marching. We see people enjoying their debauchery and drunkenness and being proud of it. We see uh, the rising resurgence of different kind of heathen peoples coming here to America and in Europe. But I am certain that during these times here in America, a faithful remnant still exists. As did in the days of Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, a faithful remnant did exist. And we know that because of uh, Daniel and his band. They came out of that. They were children at the time of Babylonian uh, captivity. There were faithful people that did follow God. And those faithful people were protected by God and were used by God and mightily. <clears throat> Some of the people I would imagine at that time repented and turned, and turned back to God. They may have been uh, taken as slaves in the captivity, but they still had their lives. They were still used by God. They were still protected by God. And uh, I believe that in our day, too, there are many Christians that are born again that can be used of God in this nation, though the times be as those days in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. <clears throat> but how are we, as born-again believers, to respond during these uncertain times? There's a lot of call for hiding out or bunkering up or saving up our food or saving up our money or saving up our guns and, and hiding out. Or we need to vote in the right politicians to save our land. But what I would suggest is what the Bible did, what they did during those times, and that is trusting God in uncertain times. As I had said before, we're not sure if we're in the days of Noah or before the rapture, or if we're just near a time of judgment. Uh, we are uncertain of that. I'm not going to give any 100% accurate prediction about uh, anything, and the Bible says not really to do that. But what we can do is we can look at what happened in the past. A, a pa the past is a good repeater of the future. 
if we don't uh, learn from our mistakes, that is, and learn from the mistakes of other nations or become too proud to even turn to that as an example to learn from. So even despite of all this happening during that day, in the day of Jeremiah, God brought forth an awesome promise, and that was the new covenant promise of Christ's return to the earth. So even in the darkest times, there was a promise that Christ would come back and deliver his people. And even in the darkest times that we live in, the truths of the Bible still remain. In the dark times that we live in, there's a promise for the future. There's a promise for Christ's return. There's a promise for uh, us to be abiding with him even in the dark times. <clears throat> we must realize, as Psalm 46 indicates, that God is in control. So let me repeat that again. God is in control. And Isaiah 40, verse 31 there is renewed strength for those who wait upon God. Emphasis on wait. During this time in our nation's history, there's not, I don't see a lot of waiting upon God, but I do see a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of doubt and uncertainty about the future. Giving up of rights, turning over our uh, powers to uh, people that are unstable and also hoping and trusting in politicians, hoping and trusting that our military will be able to protect us, all at the, all while forsaking and rejecting God. But remember in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says that uh, essentially those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with, with uh, wings like eagles, run, not grow weary. That's not only in our, during our times of anxiety, but also that God can sustain us through these difficult times. This was written during a difficult time. And if there's anything that we need to really learn and to think about, is that, that is to wait upon God, is to listen, to hear Him, to, to be in communication with Him. He is in control. He will protect us. He will provide for us. Or if it may be that He is honored, we may... Uh, be uh, die for his sake as the apostle Paul said for me to live is Christ to die is gain we have everything to gain by dying and uh, to go into the next world but do the people around us have that that don't do not know Christ do you think the people around us that are seeing all these things and are under great distress know what with certainty what their future holds uh, I don't think they do King David, during uncertain times, trusted God. Even after his sin with Bathsheba, he was expecting his child to come. During that uncertain time, he trusted God. He, he went to God. He put his face to the ground. And he prayed to God that his child would be spared. Whether the child was spared or not, he still trusted God during uncertain times. And I believe even though that is not necessarily um, what the passage is getting at, but I think that it's a great example for us during an uncertain time. 
whether or not our nation is spared, we still need to trust God during an uncertain time and go to Him in prayer and fasting and trusting Him no matter what. That is the response of faith. And there's a warning in Scripture to not trust in the military during uncertain times. In Isaiah 31, chapter 31, verse 1, a lot of the people did just, just that. The kings, the wicked kings, trusted in their chariots. They trusted in the, the, the might of their own hand to deliver them. But it was no good. That's a warning to us, too. When we think about America having the greatest <laughs> army in the world, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. That can easily fail. We see chariots here in the picture. Hezekiah, remember, he turned to the Lord, and the Lord destroyed the Assyrian army in Second Chronicles thirty-two twenty-two. Hezekiah didn't turn to trust in alliances with Egypt to help him with the Assyrian army. He got on his face before God. He repented, and he asked God what to do. And God basically came back and said, that I will take care of you. And he sent the angel the death angel to slay that entire army. I think that that still remains as a promise to to us today, potentially, as a people, if we trust in God to take care of us. And again, here we see warning not to trust in political forces during uncertain times. I put down the reference, Jeremiah chapter 52, verse 9 through 11. This was the king Zedekiah, he rejected the counsel of Jeremiah and he trusted in military alliances and he trusted in the politicians and rejected God. Well, guess what? It didn't work. His nation was uh, taken into captivity and he was taken to Babylon and watched his sons die before him and his eyes were plucked out and he lived the rest of his days as a slave because he trusted in politics and armed forces and in the might of his own hand and not in God. Let that be a warning to us today not to trust in political forces during uncertain times. And King Josiah even was killed in battle. He consulted with politics over God. He didn't consort God whether to go to battle with King Necho of Egypt. Instead, in Second Kings twenty three twenty nine through thirty, he consorted politics over God, and he was killed in battle. And we see that kind of pattern occurring in the in the Old Testament when uh, people consult themselves and the powers of the world rather than God. And that promise and that same concept goes for today as well with us. So our response in this uncertain time, ought to be a response of faith, not fear. And I use this picture of Daniel in the lion's den. I imagine him to be a man later in his life and calm in the storm. He trusted God. He had such a faith in God. Can that be said of us? Do we have the faith in this uncertain time? Or do we respond in fear and uncertainty and doubt? That's our response. What's our response in uncertain times? We see Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 through 51. is the passage 
Jesus, he's talking about all these things that are occurring at the end days in the times of uncertainty. But yet there's a promise that he has a plan for us at the end, that he ultimately knows what is best. What's our response? Are we panicking in the, that we think that we're in the days of Noah? Are we contributing to fear? Are we contributing to faith? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 through 27, Jesus is on the boat and his disciples are panicking as the storm is going on. And Jesus is, as we have seen before, he was sleeping. He had absolute faith and trust in the Father. So, But how about us and our family and Christians around us? Do we contribute to fear? Do we panic like the disciples did? Or do we follow the model of Christ and respond in faith. This is, this is our abiding model. This is the power of God lived out. Uh, and it can be lived out through us as well as disciples of Christ. And also in John chapter 16 through verses 19 through 33 we see another example of Jesus calming the disciples and he prophesies about the future and the events that are going to happen. He gives them a sense of trust and a sense of the fact that he's in control and the fact that their response ought to be one of calmness and a, and a response of faith and not that of fear, doubt, or anxiety. What is our work before the rapture or judgment in these uncertain times. Part of that response of faith is our role here in this time. We look at Mark chapter 16, verse 15. We see the work of the disciples after they knew Christ. And by knew, I mean after they abided in Christ, after they understood Christ, and after they were taught by Him, they were sent out to evangelize the world, to teach them, to raise up new disciples, to baptize them. That was the work of the disciples. And their time was a time of uncertainty, just as equally as uncertain as today in the first century of Christians being persecuted by the Roman Empire and uh, you know, death and disaster and great immorality that existed during that time. But yet, they went out and they changed the world literally, literally. And we have access to the same Christ. We have access to the same power to do the same during our time of uncertainty. We have access to the same God of Daniel that preserved him while he was a slave in bondage to the Babylonian pagan empire. We have that same power. The work of the Lord after abiding Christ is all, uh, after abiding in Christ is also talked about in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty-eight as we're resting in Him, as we're in, as we're fellowshipping with God, as we're praying to God, communicating with God, as we're meditating on the Scriptures, as we're worshiping God. The work of the Lord uh, can be done as we abide in Christ. Another important concept was to die to self daily and to put on Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.31 we see the concept of dying to self. The Apostle Paul is putting off his desires 
and what he wants to do, throwing that aside and submitting himself to God and asking God, what do you want me to do? That's part that's part of our work is being available, being willing servants to do what God wants us to do in our area of influence. And also our work is to trust God's words. They have transforming power. John 14 verse 10 speaks of this. The words of God themselves have power, literally, to transform the lives of people. I never really understood that completely until I sat down with an unsaved man and I had him read the scriptures and I asked him questions open-ended over the period of time as we, have, as we did that. The word transformed his thinking in his mind and the power of God behind it. That's not something that I could have done in my own strength to convince him in my own ability. The words of God literally have power to transform the lives of people. And part of our work is to trust those words. Sometimes we can get our eyes off of what the Bible teaches in our daily routine and forget to trust in God's words and forget to trust in God's promises. And that's completely natural. It happens. But that's part of our, part of our work of the gospel before this time is to put our faith in these promises to know that God will ultimately take care of us no matter what happens in this life. And then the question, who is on the Lord's side? Exodus 32, 25 and 26, as Moses stands before his people and he gives them the challenge after he comes down from the mountain and there are those who have taken an idol worship with the golden idol of Baal. And he puts the challenge to them, who is on the Lord's side? And that's something that we have to really convince in our, in our hearts during these uncertain times. Are we 100% on the, Lord's ti- on the Lord's side or are we not? We have to, that is part of our work. And sometimes it can be a struggle as we die to ourselves daily to fight that back and forth. Oh, should I do this today? Should I witness to that person? Should I tell this person the truth? Should I say, no, I'm not going to work on Sunday? No, I'm going to come to church. No, I'm not going to do the peer pressure of my friends. I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm not going to drink that beer. I'm not going to do that. So that is something that we have to decide during these uncertain times. If we want the power of God in our lives, we want His protection. We have to trust Him that He will provide for us. And lastly is faith in action. Faith is the power of God in action. We see that in Hebrews 11.3 and 11.6. In fact, that whole chapter is the faith chapter. Every single one of the Old Testament saints talks about how they were able to accomplish great things by the power of faith. And that's something that we really, I even, I take a lot uh, for granted. Just how powerful uh, faith is and how unnatural it is for a human to, or a human being to, to, to let go and turn ourselves over to God and to trust Him to take care of us for our every need, for our health, for our money 
for our travels, for our car, for our children, all these things. Faith is the power of God in action. And these, a lot of these men in the faith chapter of Hebrews, they had far more uncertain situations than we do. Abraham had no idea what future held for him moving out from his uh, relative area of comfort to, to an unknown land surrounded by pagan people at the time, just for instance. But faith is action. We're, we're stepping out. We're doing it. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 13, another part of this faith in action is to rest in God, not ourself. Now you're asking, okay, how does, what does that have to do with action? Well, resting in God is actually an action because there are times when we're overwhelmed with anxiety and uh, different stresses of the world. But we're, our minds are actively working to worry about those things and panic about them. But our minds actively need to be working to casting our cares over to Christ for He cares for us and are putting our minds at rest with the power of God by trusting in Him. Putting our uh, faith and trust in Him over, giving it over to Him each time that those things come up. That's action. That's work that we actually do by t- in our faith. That's faith and action. And God also promises us to have, not to be filled with a spirit of fear or doubt or anxiety, but to have power, love, and a sound mind. In Second Timothy one seven, we see that exact thing. That that thing is when we when we're practicing this faith, we're putting these trust forth in Christ. He rewards us with these fruits, which the fruits aren't anxiety or fear or doubt. The fe- this, the fruits that we uh, are receiving is power. Uh, which is can be courage under undue times of stress or power to witness to groups of people when we're scared to do that or to have love, to love uh, people that are unlovable, to forgive. I mean, that's incredible. Or to have a sound mind, to be at peace when everyone around us is panicking. That is a fruit of God. That is faith in action. That's something that we can practice. And finally, our faith in action is sharing the gospel with the unsaved. That can be demonstrated in Psalm 96, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. All of these references, I'm just skimming at, I'm just going over to help to build this foundation to see for you guys, for you guys in your own Bible study, in your own practice, to think about these things, to meditate upon them, to put them to use in this uh, uncertain time. So whether God will spare our nation or not, it's really not in our hands. That's up to God. It's not up to us. If we represent a remnant of born-again believers, we must seek to do the work of the gospel now more than ever. It's not a time to panic and to bury, uh, dig trenches and to uh, become afraid and uncertain. But if we really believe in the promises of God, if we know the people around us are uncertain and unstable and are facing all these things that I just read about in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, then now more than ever, isn't it not a time to reach out to these people, to love them, 
is it now not a more urgent time in our nation than ever to show the love of Christ, to demonstrate the love of Christ and to share the gospel with somebody? I believe that under the new covenant of Christ, we as Christians, we're living still in the age of grace. But yet also, perhaps maybe seeing the signs of the times of 2 Timothy 3. And uh, you can study that scripture for yourself, 2 Timothy 3, as well as other signs that could be preparing us to transition into the next age to come. It could be the case, or it couldn't be the case. Either way, we're seeing the signs, and we know that there is a great urgency now for us to reach out to people. When we demonstrate the love of Christ, when we do the work of the gospel, when we witness to the people around us, we are demonstrating the power of God. But when we're hiding, when we're not sharing the gospel, when we're bunkering up, when we're saving our money and our gold and our guns and all these different things, we are placing our, we're showing that we, what our, our true fear is, is that we, tr- we fear uh, man. We don't fear God. We fear what man can do unto us if we're abiding in these things and thinking on these things and panicking, not God. What looks like to us, what, what, how this has played out in our lives is going to have to be thoughtfully and prayerfully considered by each of us. What is our role in this time, in this era that we live in, in this country, in this nation, in this neighborhood? What is our role? We have to prayerfully consider that. But during that time, there's also a great time for us to realize that in our faith, there is a time for us to transition greater into greater reliance upon God and less upon ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I wrote this quote down. Leo Tolstoy said this best in one of his comments, and he was a great Russian novelist. He said this, and it, and it resounded with me greatly, and said, If you are content with the old world, try to preserve it. It's very sick, and it cannot hold out much longer. But if you cannot bear to live in everlasting dissonance between your beliefs and your life, thinking one thing and doing another, get out of the medieval whitened sepulcher and face your fears. I know very well it is not easy. He's talking about this world that we live in. It's a dying world. It has a short amount of time. The earth is not by any means going to be eternal. But the things of God are eternal. So whether we can try to be content and to preserve this old world, or, and we can live in constant fear about what people will think of us, or we can put off the fear of man by the power of God and embrace God and live out our faith each day, even in these uncertain times. We can face our fears, and for that, God will reward us greatly. And even in the book of Revelation, towards the end, it talks about those that are fearful having a place in the lake of fire. Now, I don't say that to say that people that are born again that are fearful are going to be in the lake of fire. I say that that the pe- there's people out there that because of fear of what other people will think of, t- of them are not going to accept Christ because of that fear. 
there's a paralyzing fear that exists amongst unsaved people, especially in these uncertain times. And it's our role as Christians in this time, of this era. God has us here alive during these times for a reason. These are exciting times to be alive. And God can use us greatly when we submit ourselves to Him. But I wanted to put this forth to each of you tonight, and that is, if you never considered doing the work of the gospel, if you don't know how to share your faith or lead others to Christ, or you don't know how to start teaching people about the Bible, I would uh, encourage you right now to respond to God's prompting upon your heart and upon your soul to submit to Him, to go to God in prayer, and to seek how you can uh, serve Him in this area. God will teach you how you need to work. God will teach you how to teach other people about the Scriptures and how to lead people to Christ. All we have to do is respond to Him in faith. In fact, I was just listening to the great missionary Hudson Taylor uh, about his life and biography on my way up here driving. And this man, he had no college education, no Bible degree, but he, what he did have is great trust and great faith in Christ. Each day he put his trust in, in Christ and he learned slowly over time. And that's all it takes uh, for us to do as well, to take our uh, small steps one little piece at a time, take our five minutes to pray, you know, over time, build it into 10 minutes, build it into longer. Start off with giving a track to somebody, just just randomly, or leaving a track at the gas station or wherever you want to leave a track at. Something just simple like that, and then build it up to talking to people, and then build it up to witnessing to people, and then build it up to trying to do Bible studies with them and to bring them to church even, things like that. These things, they don't happen overnight, but they do take time with small steps. The reason I'm here in this place is uh, not only following uh, God's uh, will, but also to come here to teach a two-day workshop about how to share your faith. Uh, Over the next two days, Monday and Tuesday, I will be here from uh, 6.30 to 8 each day with a small, easy-to-learn kind of a, a setup on how to share your faith. Now, if you're anything like I, I am, uh, sharing your faith can be a scary experience, and uh, you just never know how the other person is going to respond. But with these kind of simple teachings, you realize, you know what, it's not, always, it's not really that bad. Our mind actually makes things seem worse a lot of times than they actually are going to be played out. So uh, I would ask you and others, or to invite others as well, and to prayerfully consider engaging in this two-day course to have your faith, I pray, bolstered and uh, to see what can come of it. Even kids, every kid in here, I'm confident, could lead uh, people to Christ. Even full-grown adults, kids can lead, lead adults to Christ. It happens. And oftentimes it's the kids that do the, the great job because they are uh, unhindered by a lot of the fears that we have as adults. But um, but anyhow, I trust that uh, that you guys were moved about this and were thinking about and saddened even and grieved by our nation and the state that it's in. But at the same time realize that throughout history of the church, 
it's never been 100% uh, surety that we're going to live in comfort and have every kind of safety and things that we've enjoyed here in America for many years. But God has used his people during uncertain times in great ways throughout the past, and he can continue to do so. I had a friend tell me that they were uncertain about having a child because of the, the crazy times that we live in. But I was thinking, you never know, that child might be the next Hudson Taylor. That, that child might be the next Apostle Paul in this era. So we can never know out of what we think is a fearful situation, great things can come. God can use every person in this room to lead people to Christ. God can use every person in this room in the area of influence. There are people that you, everyone here knows that I don't know. There's people here that you know that Jamin doesn't know, that you have influence over. Every person in here has influence with somebody. Every person in here knows at least one person that's unsaved. As I speak now, you can probably even think about their name or their name is coming to your head. Think about that person and pray for them. And search out the Lord's will on this matter. Search out what He has for you to do in this church at this time. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.